Welcome to Women in B2B Marketing, a show where CMOs, VPs of marketing, and all strong women leaders in B2B discuss their top tactics, strategies, and tips for building high-performing teams, leveraging trends, and ultimately rocking their marketing careers. Made by and for women, insightful for all. I'm your host and 15-year B2B marketer, Jane Sarah. Let's dive in. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Women in B2B Marketing. Today, we have with us the VP of Marketing at Clutch, Katie Holler, and we are going to dive into all things B2B marketing as always, but really from a cool angle of B2B services. So welcome to the show, Katie. Thank you, Jane. Glad to be here. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm, I've been a big fan of Clutch because I come from the agency world, and I remember when I think it was the very start of Clutch, probably when I first heard of it, like maybe seven years ago-ish. And it was all of a sudden this started coming, showing up on our referral traffic. And we were like, what is this? They're bringing great leads to us. And we had to go like all in on Clutch. So it was really, it was interesting. And now it's kind of a must have in the agency world. So very cool to talk to you. Yes, we're about 10 years old officially, but yeah, seven years ago would have in the early days for sure. Cool. Awesome. Well, we'll dive into it. Now you're at Clutch, but I'd love to hear a little bit about how you got into the world of B2B marketing. Sure. So I have spent really the last 16 years of my career in a variety of stages of high growth B2B and a few forays into B2C marketing. I started out, I graduated in 2008, so right in the midst of the financial recession and went to work oh, yeah. really small what was deemed word of mouth agency at the time. And we were really exploring social media, but this was before businesses really knew what social media was. So we were pitching to a lot of big, primarily consumer brands on, you know, why you need to have a active presence on Facebook. At that time, MySpace was still around. So we were going and I got to get a lot of exposure to a lot of different business types through that. But because of the time period and that being such a new channel and experimental kind of budget for a lot of these brands, within a year, all of our clients had kind of pulled back their retainers and said, you know, we can't invest in this right now. And so the the company actually went out of business. So my first job out as well, found myself unemployed within a year. And I think that was challenging, but in retrospect was really confidence building for me because yeah. it kind of gave me the experience of, okay, now I have to go out and, and find what else I can do, you know, and, and not the yeah. kind of navigating career fairs and things from college. So found my way to Cvent, event management platform. Yeah. And was really fortunate. They were standing up their supplier network. And now I think it's called their hospitality suite and really got into product marketing there. I don't think it was dubbed product marketing at the time, but it was working with the sales team on developing the storyline, developing the pitch. Yeah. How do we present this to hoteliers and different event venues? And so got to learn a lot. There you have a just masterclass in kind of a sales-led go-to-market approach. And so worked really collaboratively with the sales organization there and got to learn a lot around this like marketplace business model. From there, uh, was approached early on by the founder of Captera. And so moved on to be the second full-time marketer at Captera in the software space. We were 
probably about 20 some people at that time. And wow. I spent the next decade of my career being fortunate enough to kind of ride the roller coaster of growth through that organization. And so built out the marketing function. Uh, we were acquired by Gartner in 2015. And then I stayed on for six years after the acquisition at Gartner. I got to work with a shared marketing organization of over 100 marketers there. And so was really fortunate to kind of see every stage of that growth and, and kind of go through the full life cycle of, of from being a very early stage startup to going through that acquisition and working at a global publicly traded organization. And so out of that experience, spent a year at a really small early stage startup, seed stage in the real estate space. And then kind of was feeling a little bit like Goldilocks, honestly, in my career where I had kind of loved that early stage of being small and nimble and so was yearning to get back into that, had gone to this really big organization, went back to really early stage and, and kind of realized at this point in my career, I think I want something a little bit more mature. You know, I want to be able to kind of experiment, test, lead a team. And so was approached by the folks at Clutch. And this was the first head of marketing role that they had ever hired for. And our CEO, Sunny, was the former CMO and co-founder at WeddingWire. So it was just a great opportunity oh, wow. to get to work for a leader who had done marketing at a marketplace type business, had you know a belief in investing in marketing as a lever for growth, and just felt like the timing was right. And as I looked back over the past 16 years of my career, I think this phase of growth that Clutch is in right now is one of the best stages to get to be a marketer in a business because you have kind of a customer base, you have the financial stability, but you still have a lot of addressable market and a lot of opportunity to continue to be creative, continue to reach new audiences. And so I've spent the last 18 months now just really building out the team at Clutch and getting to kind of continue to define our, our go-to-market and brand strategy. So cool. Thanks for that background. What a cool ride. And I love the Goldilocks comparison between right, different size companies and finding what's right for you. I'm glad you found your home. You found your perfect bowl of oatmeal. Is that what it is in Goldilocks? I forget. Porridge <laughs> or yeah, something like that. <laughs> I love that you found your, your perfect place, your home at Clutch. I'm curious, how do you feel about working at both large like companies with tons of processes in place and small scrappy companies? Do you feel like there's, it's great that you went through that experience to identify what fits for you or what did you learn going through the, the spectrum of size companies? Yeah, I think I took a lot away from both experiences and I've worked with people who I think much prefer one versus the other. And I, I think I enjoy parts of both of those environments, right? I think what I love about the early stage startup and the more scrappy environment is that you get to kind of write the future and you get to decide quickly and you move fast and things aren't perfect, right? But you learn really quickly and just seeing that feedback from your market, what's working, what's not pivoting, it keeps you motivated day to day, at least for me in that variety. And what I take away from like a bigger, more structured environment is that the stakes and the impact are are much bigger then, right? And so rightfully so, you need to be more considered in how you approach things because the 
market perception of that is going to be much bigger. And so it's a more thoughtful planning approach. You know, things can take longer. And I think that really honed for me both, I think, a, a strategic thinking lens of especially in the past year we've gone through as we're thinking about efficiency and how do you kind of speak to the board around the investments that you're making in marketing when growth is hard to come by. That taught me a lot around that kind of executive communication strategy, not just speaking the language of marketing, which you might be able to do in those smaller environments, but actually being able to translate that into more of a a business justification or a business case for what you're doing. I love that. Yeah, I think it's so great that you get to experience all sides of it and you can see the the pluses and challenges of of every size company. It's interesting. And we were talking before we started recording, I think episode one or two of this podcast was with a good friend of mine, Sandra Rand, and we both come from the agency background, so B2B services. And we were chatting on that episode a year ago now all about how B2B is often associated with SaaS and B2B services kind of get left behind. There's not a ton of content out there and they're like, it's just kind of the forgotten um, side of B2B. So I'd love to dive into more for any listeners who are in that B2B services side. What's different in B2B services for marketing? Like what have you seen that's different or what do B2B marketers who are in the services side of things, what do they need to focus on right now for revenue as opposed to perhaps SaaS companies or other B2B brands? I'm still learning a lot about this from our customers as I've made the transition into the B2B services space. And one of the things that I have found really interesting around services is, you know, it's so inherently a people business and you're really buying your faith in the team, right? And so I see a lot of smaller agencies, but even bigger agencies relying so much on kind of their founder brand and the person who started the agency or the firm really being the face of that business. And I think it's been challenging for a lot of service businesses to figure out like how do they get that person to not be the only marketer for their business and how do they scale that and really build a brand, which I think we've seen some founder brands in this B2B SaaS space, but not quite as tied to it as it is in B2B services. So I think that's one interesting dynamic that is, I think, a benefit to what you can do with B2B services, because I do think really all brands are very much chosen based on a lot of emotion and people's connection with the business. And so I think that's actually a benefit that I see B2B agencies and and services being able to lean more into is kind of that human element and and their point of view, right? And I think what's really important in services is, you know, it's not features or functionality or kind of technical specs that are going to differentiate you. It really is that point of view and that approach. And so I'm a big believer in all marketing aspects of the riches are in the niches and kind of defining who you are for. And I think for B2B services, that's especially important because you need to kind of define specifically who do you serve? How are you different than everyone else out there? And what's your kind of unique approach or your unique point of view? I think that's not talked about a lot. And I think I'm starting to hear more of that. But a lot of the agencies I talk to are just kind of in a numbers game still and are still kind of defining that 
narrative for their business and they're kind of, we'll take anything, we'll take any project. You know, we do all of these services. And I think that actually does them a disservice in actually being able to win that business. Because if you can really define who you're uniquely qualified to serve, I think that that really goes a long way. And then the other just unique aspect I've learned about services marketing is they have this interesting dynamic of kind of the capacity that their team can actually handle from a client workload perspective and this idea of there's people on the bench and now we're overwhelmed with clients and so I have to hire to actually be able to service them effectively. And so I think unlike in B2B SaaS where you can just kind of the leads convert at a certain rate and we continue to expand our client base, there is more pacing that goes into thinking about your marketing strategy and how do you scale your business to effectively serve the clients that you have in your roster or how do you bring in enough leads and enough pipeline to kind of the staff that you have. So I think a lot more consideration in kind of that pipeline management that goes into services. So interesting. Do you ever see agencies slowing down their marketing because their their bench, right? Or their their structure isn't set up to take on more clients and they have to kind of scramble to do that. So they have to slow down the the pipeline. We definitely have heard that in the past. I think, you know, more so the the opposite challenge in recent months of we're just not seeing as much come in as we did in the in the past few years. But no, I mean I think, yeah, it's a real consideration. It wasn't something that I really appreciate it so much. I think what you probably saw, you know, a couple of years ago in the height of pandemic, people having to kind of figure out how to work remotely and disruptiveness in, in businesses. There was a huge surge in demand for services and kind of specialized areas. And so I think people built out their teams to be able to serve that and now are still having to kind of adjust and figure out how do I continue to feed this team that I've built? And so I think it just ebbs and flows, right? But yeah, certainly in those in those really high demand years, lots of clients saying, yeah, we can't take any more business. We don't have anyone to, to serve these clients right now. Interesting. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the past year has been crazy for everyone in B2B, it seems. I'm curious if you can tell us a little how you've seen it impact the B2B services side of things in the agency world, because on SaaS, I mean... SaaS budgets were just cut left and right, right? MarTech stacks and tech stacks were just, okay, where can we consolidate and do more with less, right? People and and tech stacks. I'm curious how that impacted the services side of things too. You know, one of the interesting things, so this past year for Clutch was actually one of our fastest growth traffic years to the site that we've seen in the past four or five years. And so I think I would like to take credit for a lot of the work my team has done. And I think the team has done a lot to, to help drive that awareness. But also, I think in times of this kind of economic uncertainty, it can be difficult to make the case that I'm going to hire another full-time person to come on and do this job internally when I don't know what the next six months looks like, what the next 12 months look like. And so I think for business services buyers, for the decision makers that a lot of businesses outsourcing and relying on agency teams to kind of fill those gaps is a really great strategy to kind of weather that uncertainty, right? So they can lean on experts who have the expertise and kind of bring them in and out of the business as they need to without the risk of building out these big teams like we were just talking about and then having to make some hard choices when, you know, the revenue growth doesn't follow. And so I think we've actually seen the nature of projects has shifted a little bit. Obviously, this past year, 
AI blew up. And so huge surge in kind of demand for, we need to figure out how we're going to build a chatbot or we're going to do some AI development project. And so, you know, the nature of the projects, I think, shifts, but we've seen continued demand, I think, in spite of that. You know, of course, every dollar comes into question. So the sales cycles, I think, have gotten a little bit longer in terms of actually seeing people being able to make that decision and and really make sure that they're onboarding the right service provider for their specific project. So interesting. Yeah. So the AI, yeah, it, like what people are searching for and what's top of mind has shifted. That's really cool. You guys get to see all that data and like what what people are searching for within the platform. I wonder, what do you see in these these crazy times right now? What do you think is working for B2B services? Like what streams, like channels, anything, tactics, what do you see working best in this space? What I see a lot of our clients do really well when they are kind of fully optimized within Clutch is, I've touched on it earlier, I think they have a really kind of specific niche and they've defined their point of view in a very specific and narrow way. And so we see different business services do that on different factors. So I think there's kind of four or five that come to mind. The one that we've seen a lot of success with our clients is when they really specialize in a particular industry and they lean into their kind of industry expertise. So you might have someone who's really focused on healthcare app development and they focus specifically on building apps for healthcare companies. Or you might have digital marketing agency that focuses specifically on B2B SaaS, right? And so they speak a language of their customers that just really intimately understands the business challenges that they're going through and how they can best serve them. So I think that's one thing we've seen some of the B2B services companies we work with do really well is on that industry factor. The other one I've seen is more on a on a geographic focus, right? So if they are kind of really focused on local businesses and some services lend themselves more to this, right? Like a PR agency that I'm going to hire, I want to make sure that they have connections in my local market and they understand kind of the local media and connections that I need to make with my business. And so certain agencies, I think, are really specialized in, you know, we are kind of the best in this geographic area and we are going to be hands-on if you have an on-site location, you know, video production or things like that where you need people to kind of actually come on-site. That's something that we've seen people really kind of double down on and define as a differentiator for themselves. A third one I'll mention is I think the technical expertise, so a little bit different than kind of the industry focus is we are just a marketer for a marketing agency for LinkedIn ads, for example, right? And we go really deep on LinkedIn ads. We don't do TikTok. We don't do Facebook. Mm -hmm. We just do LinkedIn. We know everything about LinkedIn and we know exactly how to do the targeting. And so those are just some of the examples I think where we're seeing more success from our providers is when they are really kind of defined in who they are for. And that helps them, I think, stand out. And then they you know, augment that with thought leadership on other channels that speaks specifically to those specific targets. And that channel mix and that approach is going to look different depending on like which of those factors that you're really differentiating on. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, niching down and having that strong POV. What do you say to, to people that you hear that are kind of weary of having a strong POV. For instance, 
in marketing, we often get the asterisk that's right. It, it depends, right? So you can have a strong POV. I think when you have a, a nature focus on geo target or a specific category, mm-hmm. that's awesome. That's kind of, that's easier, quote unquote, right? To focus on. But if you don't and you're, you're abroad, for instance, digital marketing agency across mm-hmm. all channels, you have a strong POV on how to approach Google search ads, for example. Mm-hmm. But I, some people might be weary of putting that out there because there's always, it depends, right? What do you say to people who are weary of having that strong POV if they're in a kind of a broad market? I think it's really difficult to stand out if you're not willing to kind of take a stand on something. And so I think you yeah. have to get comfortable with what is the thing you know best to be able to take a stand on. But to just say, we're the best digital marketing agency when we have tens of thousands of them listed across the Clutch site and many more not, it's really difficult, I think, to to build a name for yourself and to earn kind of consideration from your potential clients. And so I think you can get so far with that from referrals and word of mouth, but to really scale your brand and to to build kind of an, a reputation, I think it's important to start somewhere, right? And I think a lot of times what I hear from internal teams and even founders is, well, we don't want to exclude anybody, right? Because <laughs> if a project comes in that's not Google search, using your example, well, we'll take that, you know, like we'll use that. And so I think that's a little bit of a of a false concern because the reality is when you when you have more of that perspective, you're going to get more coming in regardless. And you're going to have clients who then see what you did for them with Google search and say, actually, we're thinking about doing this other campaign. Could you help us with that? Right. And and that turns into a multi-year, multi-project relationship that has a much longer lifetime value for you. And so I think actually you achieve that better and you're able to serve kind of more use cases if you can start and really define yourself in one area and, you know, build up you know, use case by use case or persona by persona and kind of say, okay, now we're going to tackle this, that we built this this foundation in this one one space. That's really interesting. And it's kind of like building your story one block at a time, right? So if you, it's almost like seeing your, your strong POVs as a campaign. So you run it for a period of time focused on this channel, and then you can pivot to this channel if you're an agency. So I love that approach. And speaking of channels, I saw you recently post something, I think it was on LinkedIn, about testing new ad channels and whether to take a narrow focused approach or a broad approach. And I think you have kind of opposite perspective here than than what we're talking about in general with the, the POV. So I'd love for you to dive into that a little bit more. Yeah. So they might sound kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth, but I actually think they both fit together. And so this idea of Starting broad when you are testing a new ad channel, I think, is really important because a lot of marketers I see want to say, okay, I have very limited budget. I want to prove myself. And I have this really defined audience that I've I've decided I'm going to go after. That's the best quality for me. And so I'm only going to put all of that budget into that very narrow defined audience. And I think if you just think about your own search behavior, or you know, not even using search, but just thinking about any kind of way you might discover something. 
people don't tend to kind of self-select all of the filters and things that that they are looking for right at the outset. You know, they tend to go broad. So they might say, using that digital marketing agency, I'm looking for a digital marketing agency. They might actually really need someone who has experience targeting B2B SaaS companies and specialization on LinkedIn, but that's probably not where they start, right? And so I think what's important is not to put all your eggs from a targeting perspective into too narrow of a bucket because the challenge is you're going to get the big brands who do everything, investing a lot in any marketing channel on reaching that same person, right? And so it's going to be really hard for you to compete where you're just putting a little bit of investment for a short amount of time to try to see what the performance looks like. So those unit economics are going to be really high. And then, you know, often I see people say, well, it, it was just too expensive. Like I couldn't, I couldn't keep these campaigns running. And so I think what is a better approach is if you can start your targeting really broad, keep your messaging targeted and narrow so that you're appealing to people, but target broad in terms of the audience you're trying to reach, the keywords, the geographies, right? You're going to get better unit economics because any ad platform is going to kind of test and see, okay, you know, where can I serve you that's going to get performance, right? They want to see you succeed ultimately. And so you're going to get more. Some of that will not be good quality, but that's okay because you're then learning from that and you're saying, oh, okay, actually I'm getting some really great Australian leads, which I wouldn't have thought to target Australia, but we can serve Australia. And so now I, I know as I move forward, I can divert more budget there, right? And that that is an area where I can find efficiency in this platform, whatever it may be. So I think, I think it's just important not to optimize for quality too soon, because also in B2B, our funnels take several months, you know, to really see the full ROI and sometimes even longer. So it takes some time to actually see what's working and what's not. So if you get too narrow too quickly, it's going to just be really hard to kind of prove the the return on that investment. That's so true. And it's interesting. Basically, it's you typically have a smaller budget for testing. So go where there's less competition. So if that's high, <laughs> that's one way. Or if it's ge- different geo, I love that point too, because it's kind of default for you to focus on let's say US Canada, right? Or something where, yeah. where you're based typically. And then then t- testing out other markets where you could very well serve like UK or, or Australia, depending on your company and different language barriers, et cetera. But that's okay. so smart to just think about where you where there might be less competition, where you can still make an impact and see some results. Yeah. And you mentioned like you can still limit your budget, right? Like doesn't mean you have unlimited budget. So, you know, you can still cap yourself that way and still use that test budget. It just gets you a lot more reach for those dollars. Exactly. Every dollar counts Yeah, really <laughs> a lot right now. Do you think, are there any ad channels that you're especially excited to test in the next year or so? So we have really been, as I mentioned, I was brought on as the first head of marketing within Clutch. So we've been fortunate to kind of grow very much as a result of having very strong organic rankings and benefiting a lot from all of the great content that the team has built on the site over many years. And so building on that foundation, continuing to find new ways to kind of reach people through content, but thinking a lot around kind of repackaging that for greater awareness. And so we've been experimenting a lot on LinkedIn. I've mentioned it a few times today, but I think for anyone in B2B, 
your audience is there. And I think we've spent a lot of time just continuing to test both our organic strategy in terms of how do we get myself and other members of the team out there just sharing our learnings, talking with other service providers or business leaders and learning from that community and just sharing more from a kind of thought leadership perspective and then augmenting that with some paid campaigns to kind of reach our target accounts. And so admittedly still, you know, very much in a in a experimental phase there, but I think we've seen a lot of initial traction with that. And, you know, one thing that's great about being in a community like Clutch is that we have this network of over 280,000 service providers across the globe. And so the kind of second order amplification when we're able to share content and then we see our service providers sharing that with their audiences and vice versa. You know, we see a lot of our service providers sharing the reviews they've gotten on Clutch. And so that's really effective in terms of having that kind of second order, third order impact that that community is amplifying the brand and, and sharing the great client work they've delivered as reflected on our platform. Love that. D, what are your thoughts on the platform formerly known as Twitter? <laughs> are you on there? Does Clutch spend time on that or have you exited? We have very much dialed down. I think we still have a, you know, a business account and certainly we still see some media and some businesses that are focused there. So we can't be completely tuned out from it, but we have not spent a lot of time investing there. I think just given where we're seeing engagement and where we're seeing more of our audience interact. It just hasn't been a, a big priority for us in, in the recent months. Yeah, it's so interesting because it used to be like such a big space for agencies, right? Like all, so many different threads. I'm curious how the, I haven't paid attention in the past couple of years, but if that's transitioned over to a different platform or like, what was it? The PPC chat and all those threads that kept, that were so huge. Did those still happen? I have not, as I mentioned, like I have not been as involved yeah. in it recently. And similarly, yeah. early on in my career, that was the social media channel. We were posting, you know, right times a day across multiple, across multiple Twitter accounts for different brands. And we've really scaled back there in an, in an effort to kind of focus on where we think we can make an impact and yeah. not try to spread ourselves too thin. Yeah, for sure. Can't be everywhere, especially as new platforms pop up all the time. And we talked about a few things that, that you see working. Is there anything that is just not working that you are done with as a B2B marketer yourself or that you're seeing with others just totally done with? I think that there's been so much of this focus on kind of attribution models over the last several years and how do we kind of account for every single dollar. And while we said earlier, like every single dollar counts. At the same time, I think we're in an environment where it's just with the death of the cookie coming and privacy laws and the challenges in terms of actually being able to linearly attribute what drove that person to make a purchase. I think we've spent so much time in trying to over-engineer this that it's a big waste of time, frankly, in actually doing the things that are going to move people to buy and being creative and getting great content and helpful messaging out to your audience that's actually going to influence them. And so that's one that I've kind of lost patience with. And I think I'm guilty of having had those 
types of leadership meetings where I'm showing exactly what the different models are and the weightings. And and I think that's just not practical moving forward, given the, the environment we're in. And I think it has created an environment where now non-marketers are really hooked on that. Like, okay, but but this should, if I put X number in, then I should get X number out. And I think it's on us to continue to evolve that understanding of, yes, we have accountability. Yes, we have predictability, but it is not a linear kind of, because I spent on this channel X dollars, then that will guarantee this much pipeline. And we need to continue to work on other ways to kind of show our influence. Exactly. Especially the last few years, if there's anything this crazy world has taught us, it's that we can't, and not everything is predictable. <laughs> there's always outliers and sure. wrenches get that get thrown in. So we just have to learn to ride that wave. I'm with you on the over-engineering of attribution. I love that, that the way you said it. Speaking of kind of attribution or more so reporting, I know you you shared something also recently, I think it was on LinkedIn too, about lazy reporting. I love that term as well. So lazy reporting and unit economics. So identifying which campaigns to scale by diving deeper into the numbers. Can you talk to us a little bit more about lazy reporting? Yeah, absolutely. So this was a, a post that I did recently around different channels and when you're evaluating the performance of those. And I think I touched on it a little bit earlier with, you know, resist the urge to optimize too soon. But something I see when I say lazy reporting, something I see with a lot of marketers, and again, I was very guilty of this early on in my career too, is you want to show results really quick, right? And so you kind of say, oh, like, this is our cost per click, or this is how many impressions we got. Even this is our cost per lead. And so I think when you share those numbers too soon, it can lead people to jump to conclusions and even yourself to jump to conclusions to say, oh, well, this this channel is way more economical for me. But I think we've all had the experience where you could buy a list of a lot of names for pennies on the dollar, or you could do broad-based display ads that you get clicks for a few cents, but those don't convert, right? And so I think sometimes I see marketers kind of get really quick to share all the data. And it's not that any of that data is not helpful, but it's not the full story. And so you have to have the patience to kind of see that performance all the way through and actually looking at the down funnel impact of that. And that can take several months, right? So what's your close rate on that? What's your win rate? How many of those are actually showing up to the demo that they scheduled? Maybe you got a lot of demos scheduled, but they never showed, you know? So understanding kind of what's happening downstream and ultimately really seeing like, What's the value of that investment? And to get to that too, true return on ad spend can take months or years, right? And so I think it's important to have those early indicators to be able to, to optimize, but you have to set the expectations and have the patience to kind of see it all the way through because I think a lot of folks want to have that instant gratification and say it's working, it's not working, turn it on, turn it off. And they really hurt themselves in the long run by reacting too quickly. So true. And the learning phases of these platforms get us to, right? Like you can't make decisions too quickly because really you need months of testing to see how things are working to get the full picture. For sure. Right. And I think every platform has guidelines on this, but you know, it's it's a little bit of a black box, right? So I think you have to kind of learn through experience and set expectations on 
you know, how long it's going to take to get confidence in the results that you're you're reporting out on. Yeah, touche. Speaking of of hurdles and going through these, I'm curious if you can walk us through your biggest career hurdle and something that you've gone through. Your career has been amazing going again from through acquisition, through, you know, small company to huge company, middle company in between. So just would love to hear any of a hurdle that comes to mind and how you got through it. I think I touched on it a little bit early on in our conversation with this idea of kind of the the Goldilocks feeling. I think because I had graduated in a time where we were being told, oh, you're really lucky to even get a job. You know, I, I think I went. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think conditioning in terms of feeling like, okay, I need to just really like put my heads down and grind out. And I think in my reflection over the last couple of years, I realized that I have a lot more autonomy in my career direction than I give myself credit for and that I I shouldn't ever put myself in a place where I feel stuck. And so having been with the same organization for almost 10 years, I think that was an experience for me where I, I took so much from that, but so much of my professional identity and myself was tied up in that, that I wasn't getting the same kind of spark out of my everyday. I wasn't learning new things by the end. And it was, you know, no discredit to the organization, but I think it was just a reflection of me where that I really worked on these last few years of understanding, you know, what drives me, what's important. So I think my biggest learning there and like the hurdle I think I've overcome is is just spending the time to really define what motivates me, what drives me, what I want out of the next steps of my career and being more intentional in seeking that out. I think also, you know, realistically, a lot of this is timing and and just being in the right place at the right time and, and you know, finding these opportunities. But I also think what's been really helpful is that I've spent a lot of time just kind of reflecting on the roles I've had and the learnings from each of those. And I take away great lessons from each of those. But I think with each new career phase, like learning a little bit more around what I want next and how do I create a path to get there as opposed to feeling like whatever lands in my lap is what I need to take, you know, and and I think still a work in progress, but, you know, with each new experience, just continuing to learn a little bit more about myself and where I see myself going. Yeah, that's such good advice and a good reminder, right, that you have control over your career. Because I, I completely get what you're saying about kind of losing your identity. Your identity becomes wrapped up in the brand that you're at once you're there for a long time and you devote like so much of your being into this brand and growing it. But it's such a good reminder that you are not the company you work for. You are yourself. So kind of goes back to it reminds me like just the importance of building your personal brand and having and your personal growth, whether or not you want to have a personal brand, that's a personal decision, but just grow your your own growth and development and knowing that you control what your next step is and your direction of your career. I love that. Yeah. And I think another big lesson I've learned through that experiences. I think early on in my career, I used to get so kind of connected emotionally to the work that I was doing as well. And just really so passionate. And I used to wear that as kind of like a badge of honor of like, I care so much about this company and our success. I got feedback a few times from people saying, care less. And I think at the time, I kind of felt that like, why? You know, I think that's a great thing. But as as I get more 
senior in my career and have more experiences, I think I reflect on that advice a lot because it is so important yeah. to consider the perspective that everyone has and you, you have to pick your battles, right? You can't be so passionate about every single little decision or it's just going to wear everyone around you down. And so that's another big lesson I think I've taken away over the years is continue to focus on like what's really important and let go of the little things that, you know, are just not worth being so tied to emotionally and staying up at night worrying about what's going to happen about this one campaign or this one tagline, you know, at the end of the day, these are really small problems in the scheme of uh, a bigger picture. I love that. My husband and I often talk about this, that we care too much. I mean, I totally agree. It sounds, it sounds so funny, right? Saying, and this was feedback you received, not what you're saying, but care less. But it's, it's, it honestly is a good reminder because you want to care. You want to put your all into, into what you're doing, but there is a level that is, what's the word where it becomes too much and just harmful to yourself, to others, like anxiety levels raise, it raises everyone's around you. So it's, it's a good reminder, like you should care and put out great, great quality, but it goes back to done is better than perfect. Right. So getting it out there and not being so emotionally connected, as you said, because at the end of the day, unless this is the company you founded, it is not your company. So to remember that for sure. Exactly. And still a reminder I have to give myself often of like, yeah, this this will be okay, you know, and and, uh, taking that time to kind of put things in perspective. Perspective. Yes. Big word. With that, thank you so much, Katie. It's been a pleasure talking with you today. Tech issues and all. (laughs) It's been great getting to to know you a little bit. And I hope we continue to to chat online. Thank you for joining us so much. Thank you, Jane. It's been great to chat with you. And yes, hopefully our recording comes through. (laughs) All the fingers crossed. If anybody wants to reach out to you to chat or ask about anything or learn a little bit more about Clutch, where's the best way for them to find you? Best place to find me is on LinkedIn, Katie Holler. So yeah, would love to connect with other B2B marketing professionals. Perfect. As always, I will put the links in in show notes so you can easily click through to find Katie. And thank you all for joining us today, for listening. If you like the show, leave a review, give us a good rating and share with a friend. We appreciate the love. See you all next time.